your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Thursday of Lacrosse Talk PM. I know what day it is when it's Thursday because I know tomorrow's Friday, so I always remember. Also, tons of cars out in, in the street right now, parked along. Hard to get into the office because y'all are going to Moon Tunes. Go park in the ramp so I can park right outside the office. Jerks, I tell you. Or go pay $5 to the uh, parking attendants because all that money goes to uh, like the Central High School Band. And you'll see signs out there what who, what you're essentially donating to. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. Adam Murphy is on with me. Adam Murphy, the former uh, one of at least, we'll just say a dozen, Baker's dozen of uh, Senate candidates that were running to take Ron Johnson's seat. No longer doing that, Adam. So I don't feel so itchy about bringing you on because I like talking to you about all this stuff. And I think you're, you're, uh, you know, I, I, I was kind of pulling for you. And also I was like, you're never going to win. And maybe that's, <laughs> <laughs> maybe you figured that out because you're no longer running uh, for Senate here in Wisconsin as one of the Baker's dozen of Democratic candidates. Um, first off, thanks, thanks for joining me. And secondly, uh, why did you drop out? Hey, Rick. Uh, I appreciate it. I, uh, Rick and I have talked a couple times, and I was on the show once, and it was it was great fun. And um, so, so I'm out. Uh, well, you're absolutely right. Right, my likelihood of winning the primary was pretty slim. Uh, I, I I think I make the argument that I was probably uh, the best one to to actually go against Ron Johnson because I talk with conservatives, you know, your listeners, for example. Um, but that doesn't always sit well with. Uh, uh, the most liberal parts of the Democratic Party, <laughs> and so the 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 way that the math was was working out, and we were talking about this a little bit, is you know not a lot of people vote in the primaries, and the people that vote in the primaries are normally the most dedicated partisan members of each party, so Democrat and Republican both. And I had some some amazing conversations, and what I was trying to do. At, with my campaign was to to do a couple things was to reach out to voters to teach them to talk with each other again and we had actually even created a workshop uh, to do it uh, teaching red and blue to talk with each other and i had been promising to do it and promising to do it and i just didn't have enough time to do it at the end of the day and what it came down to is is that there was a lot of things that i wanted to do uh, there were a lot of people that I wanted to work with. I want to work with, with candidates across the state and had actually even started to work with some candidates across the country to teach them to engage with voters rather than at voters. And at the end, I was also doing my master's program in economics. <laughs> so uh, square in the middle of everything, I had two research papers to do and, and uh, final exams on public policy and on healthcare economics. And the honest truth, uh, Rick, is that I, I was just not doing everything well um, or as well as I wanted to. Um, I, had, I had way too many irons in the fire, and the likelihood of me winning was, was really, really slim. Uh, and I had already put a, a pretty good amount of money in. Right? I'm, I'm not an Alex Lazary, but I've, I've owned a small software company for 18 years, so um, I, had, I had put in a fair amount. And... The, the truth of the matter is is that there's so much that I want to do behind the scenes to work with candidates and to work with voters and to inform voters. Um, you know, I, I've said so many times that politics needs to be more than a meme and more than a soundbite. 
And and your your next question, because I know we've we've talked about this, and I get this question a lot in the, the two weeks or so that I've been out of the race, is who am I endorsing? Right. Uh, and here's here's what I'm doing is I've actually reached out to all the candidates in in the Senate race um, that that made it through and and got uh, got the the necessary signatures to get on the ballot. And I said, listen. I've got 30,000 people following me on TikTok, and it's all about politics. It's all about strategy. It's all about game theory and, and that sort of thing. I said, I will make them available to any of you. I will bring you guys on live. Um, we will, I, I will help promote, um, assuming with, with one caveat, and that is that you guys have to actually engage with voters. You have to answer questions that people are asking. Um, you have to be authentic. So ironically, I'm teaching politicians to be authentic, which is kind of a, an outrageous thing to say. Um, and then the workshops that we had been putting together, uh, we've continued to work on those, and I've got a bunch of different organizations and, and people that are really interested in, in participating in those. So we'll probably kick those in after the primaries because uh, the next couple of months are going to be a little chaotic. Um, but I'm really excited to, to work with voters to teach them how to talk with their neighbors again uh, nope. because I think that needs to happen. Now, when you bring these candidates on, and are you do, you're doing like a TikTok live or something like that, right? I think I, I saw yep. a couple of videos like that. Um, what now is the whole intent of that to engage with voters, or and also we want to uh, beat Ron Con- or Ron Con- Ron Johnson? I'm still grumpy about Ron Con from yesterday. <laughs> I, uh, I and he was going to come on today, so I told Ron Kind, Adam. I told him mm, I'm good. <laughs> so, but <laughs> well, good. But uh, what if uh, what if you reached out to Ron Johnson and did this? Would you do that? Well, and people have asked that. Will I do this with conservatives? And the answer is yes. Right? I have had conversations with uh, conservative and even libertarian uh, candidates um, in, in Wisconsin and across the country. That, for instance, I, I had a, a really long conversation with a, a libertarian candidate for um, I think it was for the House, uh, and he's out east because. He agreed with me and some posts that I had done talking about increasing both the size of the Supreme Court as well as increasing the size of the House of Representatives, because we stopped changing the size of the House back in, like, 1913. And, and right now, I think it's one House member for every 760,000 U.S. citizens, um, which, is, which is insane, right? It's, it's not representative democracy. Yeah. And so we had, like, an hour-long conversation and I was perfectly willing to bring him on. Now, he, he was only a few days before his primary, so it didn't work out. But I'm perfectly willing to do that. But again, my requirement is this. You have to be willing to engage. You have to actually be willing to ask questions. And so I've done a couple already uh, with Tom Nelson. Uh, I've done them with um, uh, Stephen Olacara. I've talked with Mandela Barnes a couple of times, and we're probably we're going to work on setting some, uh, something up. And Alex Lazary's campaign has responded to me as well that he would like to do it. And so think carpool karaoke, except with politicians, and on TikTok, and on TikTok. And on TikTok, are, are you still? And, did and you we make the videos available for them, and they can use them? Right. Have you have you uh, got any of those candidates? Well, I, I, I'm guessing some of them have figured out. Hey, I need to get on TikTok. I feel like, but are are they all on TikTok? Have you even? Do, they're do, have they're you not. Even, they're not. Okay. They're not. So Stephen Olacara hopped on a little while ago, um, and we've gotten him up to like 150. We, uh, so one of the things that I want to do with candidates, and there was a couple uh, state assembly reps that I'll be working with as well, or candidates. Um, 
that have followed me over there and, and want to participate because it's oftentimes where college students engage. Yeah. And there are 330,000 college students in the state of Wisconsin. That is a huge voter base if we can connect with them. But politicians tend to ignore them because they vote at the, at the lowest levels. Um, and they vote at the lowest levels in part because they're ignored, right? So it's this, this death spiral. So let's engage with them where they are. So Tom Nelson is on there, and he's gotten seven or 800 people following him. Um, and we need to get him to 1,000, because if they can do 1,000, then they can do their own TikTok lives. So that's one of the, the requirements. Oh, yeah. But they can also do multi-person TikTok lives. So they could do it with me, for example, where, similar to the, the interview here, but we could do them on TikTok Live and where people can drop in questions, similar to the way that your, your listeners can call in or, or text in. But it's all real time. So it's, it's immediate and it's based on what's going on. And I've done them. One of the coolest ones I did, I, let me tell you about two that I did. And I think it's... it's well, uh, it, let's go ahead. Let's, let's just put that on hold as I look at yeah, the yeah. clock. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to do the... I got to go to the news here. Uh, Adam Murphy, he's... You know what, Adam? We should probably tell you what else you are. I mean, you kind of said you're a student. You own a software company. If you want to dive into that a little bit, we can. But uh, former Senate candidate, that's how I'll describe you at this point. Uh, but Perfect. we got we to gotta take a break for news. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. If you want to ask Adam Murphy uh, any questions, he, Adam Murphy was running for Senate here in Wisconsin, U.S. Senate, but in Wisconsin, trying to take Ron Johnson's seat. He's kind of dropped out of that now, but he's still in, you know, you're still very active in the political game. And I, I, I said to you, you know, I text you, hey, I, I want to bring you on once a month. You could just be my political pundit. But I don't even know if you're going to be a political pundit as much as you could just kind of walk us through uh, what is happening uh, in the world or in the U.S. right now. And I know we were talking about TikTok a little bit and just uh, but I'm, I'm just going to switch it because otherwise we're going to run out of time. Adam. Um, Go for it. Let's, I'm just going to do this to you. <laughs> you can explain it away. <laughs> Gas is going to be five bucks a gallon. November, unless it gets back to something reasonable, quote unquote reasonable, uh, Dems going to lose all the elections because that's how people think. Like, eh, uh, my Oreo cookies are a dollar more than they were a couple years ago or a year ago. Uh, gas is five bucks a gallon. Uh, we got to vote the other guy in to 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 end this all. I f- is that? I don't know. I feel like sometimes that, but also like, am I reading too many of the comment sections on social media? Well, you remember the the comment from Bill Clinton's campaign uh, that said it's the economy stupid. Yeah, yeah. Um, or uh, and and there's a lot of truth to that. There's not as much truth to it as they used to be. And and you talked about you know what I study and, and stuff. And I, I just did two degrees, one in economics, one in political science, and I studied political data analysis with with a guy that actually does like national forecasting and, and stuff. It was tremendous, and I love having those resources. And so. I want to say when you asked if I would come on once a month, I'd be happy to. Or and I've actually got another radio show that's asked me to do uh, to be regular. Because part of it is is that I've got some terrific resources in the education side. I think professors of economics and political science, and and you know, it, and that's what the, that's what these guys study. So here's the crazy thing with gas is that, and you'll hear the Democrats say it all the time, right? That Biden doesn't have anything to do with it, and of course the Republicans are going to blame it on Biden. Um, welcome to politics. Yeah, we literally see like the GOP party page, Facebook page here, just literally just do that. Thanks, oh, yeah. Biden. Yeah. You know, it's just something so because it's so easy and simple. You could just do it. It doesn't have to be true, but you could do it. And then, yeah, yeah. Right. 
Right, and and oh, and the shelves are bare. I don't know. I haven't seen any bare shelves in quite some time. Um, but it's it's easy, and it doesn't. What you'd never hear from the GOP, and and I'll say this about the Democrats: we haven't said what kind of solution we'd have either, because there isn't a solution. Right? Is that there's not an easy one? It's economics, and so the GOP annoys me. And and I don't mean I've said this. I don't mean conservative voters. I mean the the party itself. Because they don't have any ideas, right? They have no idea on health care. They don't have any idea on inflation. They don't have any idea on gas prices. Here's what's going on with gas prices. So first of all, we had a massive dip in demand, drop in demand during COVID. COVID was the biggest economic shock that the world has ever seen. And I'm not just talking the United States. I am talking the entire world. It was a bigger economic shock than the uh, than the impacts of like World War One and World War Two. Um, you mean the, the OPEC? Well, we, when you say was, when you say world, Adam, you mean humans? Because we, I had a scientist on the other day, and the dinosaur thing that was pretty big. That asteroid that hit. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. You're so, so I, I COVID, COVID is the biggest thing that the world has ever seen since that asteroid took out the dinosaurs, right. I think. Right. And, and I would imagine that maybe the Black Plague, you know, in the 1400s was, you know, that wiped out like 50% a year. That was probably bigger. So I Also Democrats' in, fault. In terms of recent, reasonable, uh, industrial era, human economics. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Is that, is, that, is that tight enough? Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Right. And so when we talk about gas, we had a 20% reduction in demand for, for petroleum globally. We went from 100 million barrels a day being used roughly down to, I think it was like 78. Um, and so things shut down. And one of the things that shut down, we're, only, we're really only seeing this now, is so this has been part of the jump from the, I'm going to say, $3.5 a, bar- a gallon to the $5 is in refining capability and our ability to refine uh, crude oil into gasoline. So there's two aspects. Over 2020 and COVID, there were, uh, I, think, I think the number is four refineries were shut down in the United States that, uh, that create uh, gasoline. And those have not come back online. So our ability to actually produce gasoline is limited. And that, we weren't the only country that that happened in. Uh, China's production of, of gasoline is down. And, of course, China is actually the biggest importer of petroleum in the world. Um, and then here's the rest of what has happened, is the United States, and, and this is one of the few things that, that President Biden could actually do. Um, because we're not a communist socialist state where the government owns the oil production, right? Um, and that's what makes me laugh when the GOP bitches that, you know, that something needs to be done. I'm like, um, well, we're, we're not socialists, guys. We're not communists. We don't own, you know, the government doesn't own things. Um, but the United States is still exporting quite a bit of gasoline and diesel. Um, and, and by the United States, I mean the oil companies. And they are capitalists. They are making money. They are they're in this to make a profit, and so it's more profitable for them to export a certain amount. And Joe Biden could actually put a limit on the amount of, of gasoline and diesel that is allowed to be exported. And that would potentially, and, I, and I'm not 100% on this, but the thought is, is that could potentially reduce costs because the market would be significantly smaller, right? They wouldn't be able to actually export it into areas that are willing to pay more because that's what's happening. This is all just global economics and free trade economics, right? I love that the GOP is all about free trade and then they bitch about free trade. Um, 
But China has already done that. China has actually put restrictions on their exports of gasoline and petroleum that they refine uh, to the tune of they're about 40% less than they were last year. So China is one of the biggest importers, and they have reduced their export of gasoline and petroleum by 40%. It's a massive hit to the global uh, market for gasoline. And so the argument is, is that we could do similarly and that that would help. Um, like I said, I'm not 100% on whether I, I wholly believe that, but it's one of the few things that, that the president could actually control. But right now, we just have massive demand. Um, people are still driving, right? Gas is 5 bucks a gallon plus, but people are still driving. So if you're the oil company, uh, yeah, you're making bank. And why would you lower price? Because right now, we are still going through oil companies. I don't want to say we, um, again, as the United States, but oil companies are continuing to decrease their their backup supplies they're selling it because they can sell it for so much right <laughs> it's just basic capitalism <laughs> yeah i so somebody's waiting on hold and i do have this uh texter here i'm gonna go to the phones i don't know who this is though uh caller who is this you're on with adam murphy and and me hey this is sam hey. um i had a question as far as reaching out across party lines and i do like your ideas about limiting the gas export um, to switch topics a little bit about uh, safety for children, I know there's been a lot of talk about controlling access to guns. Is there, Do you have any ideas for things reaching out across party lines? One thing that I was thinking of is that maybe both sides could agree uh, limiting access to pornography for children would be a good step that I think everybody could agree on. What are your thoughts on that? Sure. Um, okay, so... Uh, okay, so Rick, let me ask you this: How much time do we have before the next break? A minute. <laughs> okay. Let's let's just hold um, let's hold tight on that. Okay. I don't know. Jot it down because okay. I'm going to forget it. No, I'll try to jot it down. Um, uh, the texter, in terms of gas and what you're we talking about, the, uh, a texter texts in and 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 uh, with an exclamation point here. So we were energy independent during the Trump administration. <laughs> no, we weren't. Okay. I, mean, I, I will. Uh, I'll explain that one, and I'll hit on Sam's question about uh, porn when we come back from break. Yeah, definitely. Work? Yeah, well, yeah. You just sent it the break. Good job. All right. Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four is the talk in text line. If you want to get in here, you want to talk to Adam Murphy. He's a former Senate candidate. Uh, he owns his own uh oh um, software company. How's that, Adam? Something like that, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you you know how to code, maybe? Oh God, not much anymore. No. I have I have people for that, but I, are you? Once upon a time, I did. Is that, like we don't have to get into this too much, but is it something that the like back in the day had to do with deal with like UPS or something? Is that like your backstory? Like you wrote some code? Uh, I was actually wrote, I was at FedEx. FedEx, yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, I was at FedEx for ten years. I'd written a little software program as a cargo handler when I was nineteen, and. Um, yeah, one thing led to another. I was there for 10 years, kind of as PCs were really kind of taken over. So I got into database development and data analysis and training and teaching. And, and then eventually I, I left and stepped out on my own. And, um, yeah, I've had a, a small software company for 18 years now. Did the computer thing happen to you? Like maybe you see these videos all the time, like somebody hears a song and they can go play it on the piano right away? Like is it? <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm not a savant. No, okay. Um, what I... What I am is, uh, I think I'm pretty good at putting together the right group of people into opportunities, um, and then letting them do their do their thing. Um, that's kind of where my talent lies. All right. Um, so before the break, we had somebody. So they yeah, started. They started with things. guns and like gun yep. reform, and then they said, and 
I, I, I guess I didn't, he, you know, he didn't really explain how to do gun reform. We start with porn reform, internet porn reform. Well, it was, it was a question, and, and somebody texted, I want to hit this before we finish up, somebody texted about energy independence uh, under Trump, and that's a standard line from the GOP, and really people, we need to not believe it, and, and it's, uh, somebody had said, you know, what's his, is anybody fact-checking this guy and stuff, listen, I've got degrees in economics and political science, um, and I'm a firm believer in data, um, they call me the data guy. And you can go to the, the EIA.gov, uh, which is the energy uh, in, uh, agency here in, in the United States, and get all the data. And here's, here's what energy independent gets used as, quote-unquote. And we never have been energy independent. What we are is a net exporter, and we have been for the last couple of years, which means that we produce more petroleum. And this isn't just crude oil. This is also natural gas and refined products. We produce more um, or I'm sorry, let me put it this way. We both import and export, and we export slightly more than we import. So the United States uses about 20 million barrels a day of oil and petroleum overall. We only we only produce about 12. We maxed out at about 13. So for crude oil, we maxed out about 13 million barrels a day. We're at about 12 right now, uh, and that's been growing consistently. Uh, and then there's natural gas and, and all sorts of stuff. So we actually import and export about seven and a half to eight million barrels a day in both importing and exporting of petroleum. And we are a net exporter in that we export ever so slightly more, about eight million barrels a day, to the seven and a half million barrels a day that we import. We are not energy independent and never have been. Energy independent would mean that we have enough oil to do everything that we need to do and we don't have to actually import any. That is never, ever, ever been the case. I'll give you one more. Can I give you one more? Uh, If Biden opens up the Keystone Pipeline, gas prices would go (laughs) down. Sure. Here's the thing with the Keystone Pipeline, and I'll do it real quickly, and then we'll we'll hit kids and and porn. Um, The Keystone Pipeline, first of all, it was coming from Canada, so it wasn't U.S. oil, so it didn't have anything to do with us. Next, uh, the Keystone Pipeline was never open. It was only about 8% complete, and that was up in the United, uh, up in Canada. Uh, next, it was shut down by the Republican-controlled Supreme Court under Donald Trump. Let me emphasize that again. It was shut down by the Republican-controlled Supreme Court under Donald Trump in 2020. All that Biden did after the Supreme Court had shut it down and after the Supreme Court in 2021, once he was in office, also verified again that they were going to shut it down. Then he pulled the permit. So it didn't have anything to do there. Not only that, if it had been completed, it wouldn't have been done until at least 2023, if not longer. Um, so it wouldn't have affected us at all. Canadian oil sands are a completely different product. It is almost like asphalt. So they don't drill for it. They actually mine for it. So imagine the, the asphalt that's out on your road. That's very similar to what, we're, what, what they're drilling or what they're, they're, um, they're mining for. Then it has to go through a chemical process and a heating process. It's incredibly expensive, um, and it's incredibly dirty. Um, so they have to actually burn a ton of natural gas in order to heat it up to get the oil out. Then they have to mix it with incredibly toxic chemicals in order to get it to flow through a pipeline. And then, because there are different grades and types of crude oil that have different levels of sulfur, for example, and, and like we could talk Russia real quick, um, because the sulfur content from Russian crude is different. And so we have refineries on the West Coast that were designed to refine it, and now they have a problem. It's more expensive because they can't get it from Russia. Um, and so they're, they're producing this. Canadian oil, Canadian tar sands, in order to to use have to be mixed with these terrible chemicals and stuff like that, so it's bad for the environment. Um, 
And we don't refine much of that product. Most of it was designed to actually go through the United States and out. At most, it would have made a difference, by the way, globally, of about 400,000 barrels a day. And again, we use 100 million barrels a day. So the impact globally would have been less than 1%. It would have almost no impact on the United States. It wasn't happening right now. It wasn't affected at all by Biden. It was already shut down by the Supreme Court, the Republican-controlled Supreme Court. Sounds like so that oil, sounds like that oil, though, would have helped fix our roads and build more roundabouts. That's what we're doing here in La Crosse. <laughs> no. here's, here's to roundabouts. So, anyway, so that's the thing with energy independence and, and, uh, and stuff. And so the last thing I'll say about it is that we can't just easily drill more uh, either. We are drilling more. Right now there are over 700 new rigs drilling for, for new oil wells. Um, but it's not an immediate process. It's more expensive than in much of the rest of the world. Like, um, for example, if we get a drill and we actually hit oil, um, which in the United States means fracking, so we have to go down about 10,000 feet, whereas in, uh, say, Saudi Arabia, they only go down like 6,000 feet. Saudi Arabia, they're sticking a straw down because they're hitting a pool. Here, we go down 10,000 feet, then we have to go horizontally, then we have to pump in water and sand in order to get the oil to actually compress, and then we need a second straw to suck it up. So if we manage to hit oil in the United States, it costs about two to two and a half times more than, say, Saudi oil or some of the other uh, OPEC uh, countries to actually extract out of the ground. Um, Saudi Arabia costs about eight to nine dollars a barrel for them to extract it once they've built the well. Are we? So, are we also? Are we also? Like when we when we talk about this stuff, those are union jobs. We got to you know we could open up. Is it is it more expensive just to pay workers to do that stuff here versus Saudi Arabia? I don't. Maybe you don't know that. There, there's a little bit of that, but quite frankly, most of that is not labor. Now, okay. there are labor shortages that we're dealing with because we've got this massively low unemployment rate. And so that's part of the problem that, that um, some uh, oil uh, drilling companies and, and some of the U.S. oil manufacturers are having problems with is, is employment. And part of that is, uh, and this is, uh, goes back to you know, so many different things that we've had going on politically um, and, and um, how do I politely put it? So some of the Donald Trump policies and perspectives on uh, immigration. We are down an estimated uh, 2 million to 5 million legal immigrants. I'm not talking illegal in the southern border. I'm talking 2 million to 5 million legal immigrants who would have had to have jobs in order to be here in the United States. And a lot of them would have actually been working in a lot of the jobs that we're seeing that are open, right? So restaurant and, um, you know, a lot of those low-paying jobs, uh, as well as actually over in the oil industry. And so that's part of the problem that they've got as well. And it's really expensive to start these rigs back up, the ones that they shut down. It's just, um, And again, we shut down four refineries. It's just it, it's, easier to it's say it's, it's just easier to say it's Joe Biden's fault. It's it's way easier to this. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So I have three people waiting on hold, and we're we're holding okay. out on the child porn to guns question. Okay. So which do you like? Let's go to the calls here. Uh, at okay. least uh, I want to introduce you from, to Eric from Sparta, who's a regular here. Uh, Eric, you're on with Adam Murphy. Go ahead. Uh, do you think red flag laws violate the Constitution of just cause? If somebody nope. accuses you of something, do I have the okay. opportunity to to challenge them in court? Is that yeah. violating the Constitution if I don't get that? All right. Thanks, Eric. Um, cool. No, red flag laws. Okay, and this goes back to Sam's question about guns and safety for children and pornography, and I was going to pull in video games. Okay, so first of all, red flag laws do not violate the Constitution. Here's why. What you're talking about with the Constitution, and I've studied constitutional law. So for those of you that are saying, what does this guy know? 
I have a degree in political science that I got in order to run for office. So I just did this, and I studied constitutional law with some of the best professors here in, in the state of Wisconsin. So you're talking about due process. Due process is jailing you, is taking away your property permanently, right? And that's where we say in the, in the Fourth Amendment and, and some of the others, you know, that, that you're protected, uh, you know, your right to due process. Red flag laws do not violate the Constitution because they're not taking away your property permanently. It requires family to be involved, police to be involved, and the courts to be involved, and it is a temporary removal of, of weapons in a situation where the police and the courts and, and family members generally feel that there is significant uh, risk and significant concern for loss of life. Oftentimes it winds up being associated with suicides. Um, Rick and I were talking a little bit offline. There are about 45,000 gun deaths in the United States. A little over half of them are suicides um, every year, uh, about twenty to 25,000 suicides. And 80% of suicides are with guns. Um, of course, most of them most of them are handguns, so it's not the same thing that we're talking about, like you know, the the kids in in school. Um, but there's, I think, about twenty twenty one states that have red flag laws, including Florida. Let me emphasize this: including Florida and the GOP, and they put it in place. And since Florida has put their red flag laws into place a couple of years ago, they have had eight thousand cases where um, where the police have gotten involved with the courts um, and and have temporarily removed weapons uh, from somebody's home. But it is temporary. It absolutely does not in any way, shape, or form violate the Constitution. There have been, and and I'll say this uh, to Eric, there have been some red flag laws that did go too far. Uh, I think New York State, uh, as a matter of fact, had one that went too far. And that was shot down, and that's legitimate. And and I support shooting that down. Um, Pardon the the terrible pun of of saying shooting. Um, But generally speaking, the red flag laws are safe. They're designed to keep people safe in a scenario where the police, the courts, um, and and family all believe that there's some legitimate risk. Okay, so how do we have gun reform and we make that child porn reform? Do you Like, you know where this sure. caller was going. I'm not yep. sure I do. I do. Um, and, it's, and, and the argument gets used with, with violent video games, um, and which, of course, you know, have been around since the 1980s, and, and it's all become much more realistic. So has pornography. Um, it's all become much more realistic, right? It's different than when I grew up and you were trying to watch lines between HBO because you didn't get the signal. Never did. Um, <laughs> no, right. Sorry. sorry. I, I'm, a, I'm not a politician anymore, so I can admit to something. <laughs> um, and so the, the truth of the matter is, is, is there's a ton of data out there and there's a ton of studies that have been done. And there is zero correlation that has been found between things like violent video games, between pornography um, and guns. And, and the interesting thing is, is that when we look at uh, pornography and Right. We, we, this could be a whole other topic, and, and we can go into some other day. Um, there is benefit to it. And I know that sounds uh, perhaps a little bit ridiculous, but um, for a lot of people, there's, there's actually benefit to it. Um, and, it and I'm not saying it's all good by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but, um, you know, it's easy to blame things like, um, uh, you know, mental health. Well, all right, the, the rest of the world also has the same mental health issues potentially that we have. They just don't have the same number of shootings per capita. So what's right. different? Guns, uh, right? So the math there becomes pretty simple. Yeah, everybody it's has access. Everybody has access to the same video games. Everybody has access to the same internet porn. Right. Uh, it's in it, the only time it's a problem with guns is here. So I uh, played a violent video game yesterday.
So <laughs> actually, it might have been right. early this morning, technically. Uh, we're speaking with Adam Murphy, former Senate candidate. Uh, he gave his bona fides there a minute ago. I should write your bona fides down so that I can do it, and then you don't sound so douchey <laughs> when you do it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> no, but, um, I know. I, I hate doing it. But no, I know you do. That's fine. I just I, I, I just wanted to get 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 you once. Um, all right. We have a yep. caller waiting on hold. Caller, go ahead. You're on with Adam. Yeah, um, it's interesting how uh, Democrats and Republicans have their way of, of spewing uh, their their logic as to why to blame the other side. Um, but what I can tell you and what I see is uh, under Obama, we had the same type of economy, um, just a little bit better than Joe Biden. But under Trump, we had the best economy we've ever had. And, uh, you know, the thing is, 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 the Democratic policies do not work, especially with the name blame and shame that the Democrats do for Republicans if you don't agree with their side. And if this guy's a data guy, maybe you should go work for Mike Lindell. You're talking. You're talking to him. That, uh, Mike Lindell has for vote fraud. You're talking to the him, Democrats Joe. Have to cheat to win. Joe, you're talking. You got a question for him? You're, 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 he's literally here. You can ask him whatever you want. No, I'm just no because he's not running for because Ron Johnson is going to win anyway. So there is he, nobody has a chance that's running against Ron Johnson because Ron Johnson is for the Constitution. He's for America first, which was Trump. Uh, every other president we've had, Obama and Biden, is America last, and we can see. I don't know how you guys can't see what is actually going on where we have the highest gas prices we've ever had, we have the highest grocery prices, food shortages, companies burning down, food companies burning down, um, oil places shutting down. All, all um, Biden did was take away Trump's policies by putting in, implementing Obama's third-term policies. And it's actually worse. And now you've got Hillary Clinton and Obama saying that, that Biden shouldn't be president. All right. Um, man, okay. just off the cliff there at the end. But uh, anyway, go. You, you, what do you got, Adam? Okay, so I'm going to go back to data because you said I'm about data. And, and here was the really cool thing about, about studying political data analysis and political psychology is he absolutely believes that Donald Trump had the best uh, economy in the world and if, or, you know, ever. And if you uh, ask a Democrat, he would say, no, he didn't. And if you ask a Democrat about Obama, they're going to say Obama had the best one. And if you ask a Republican about Obama, they're going to say, no, it was terrible. And that's all regardless of data, right? So it's interesting to say, well, why don't we, why don't we agree on that? And so here's, let me, uh, let me give you some, some data points. Under Barack Obama, the, um, Stock exchange increased 300%. Under Trump, it increased 75%. You tell me which is more. How much does um, how much does COVID play into that? Because we did, you know, Trump did inherit that or create that, maybe. Well, and and so, but what was interesting is is that the stock market dropped quickly and then bounced back up. Okay. Right? So even if we look at so even if you just take the first three years. And, and you compare them, right? So yeah. if we want to go, if we want to say COVID was this aberration, and I'm cool with that because that's that's a legitimate point. Okay, so if you look at the first three years, guess what? Obama outperformed him. Um, if we look at unemployment, right? Because that's an, an aspect of the economy. 
uh, unemployment fell 5% under Obama. It peaked at 10% just after the, the 2008 crash uh, as he came in. It peaked at 10, to, uh, 10%, and it was down to 5%. Under Trump, it went from 5%, and it just continued on the exact same path. If you look at the graph, nothing changed. It just continued down, and it got down to you know 3.6% or, or whatever it might have been. And, and then again, COVID hit, and that was a problem. So when you look at any of the data associated with what we think of economics. If we look at inflation, we can look at inflation across Obama and across Trump, and it's almost exactly the same. Right? Uh, we can look at jobs. Uh, it was improving under Obama. It continued to improve under Trump. And when the callers say, you know, that Biden changed policies, my question would become, what policies did he change? Because we talked about the Keystone XL pipeline that had zero impact, and oh, that was actually the Supreme Court under Trump. Um, so the truth of the matter is, is that the U.S. economy kind of does what it does regardless of who's in power. Yes, there can certainly be impacts, but the the stock market is cyclical. Recessions are cyclical. The Fed has a huge impact on all of that, and, and we won't even get into, uh, into that because we've only got a couple minutes left. Right. <laughs> but the honest truth is that the simple data is that uh, the economy was incredibly strong under Barack Obama, all right, and we- it was still decent under Donald Trump. All right, no argument. One more, one more break. We'll be back. All right. That's going to wrap it up for today. Thanks, Adam, for, for joining me and spending an hour. I feel like if we did, we could do this on, like, like you said, on TikTok Live and then just pot, pot down the radio and then, hey, go to TikTok and keep watching if you want to continue the conversation. I, I, I think it'd be fun. <laughs> I love being on. I love talking to callers, regardless of whether they agree with me or not. Um, and it's, it's something I don't think politicians do enough of, is we don't get challenged and, and we don't respond. And, and that's my knock, Democrat or Republican. Um, and so I really encourage more people to do this, but it requires having some knowledge and some research and some, you know, a willingness to, to, to uh, you got to be a little thick-skinned, and that's fun, too. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, coming up tomorrow, UW Lacrosse political science professor, Dr. Anthony Chagoski, as he joins me every Friday. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Adam. My pleasure, Rick.